Father, we are so grateful for the Lord Jesus Christ. We are so thankful that he is not only your truth, but he is the way to eternal life. He is the one in whom all life rests. If we want to have a connection with you, if we want to have a relationship with you, if we want to have a hope of eternal life, it is through Jesus Christ. We are so thankful for his sinless life on this earth, for his sacrificial death. We can know you through him. And this morning our prayer is only that we would see him today, that we would understand your truth as you speak to us through your word. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. You can have a seat. I just say thank you to Arise for singing for us this morning and leading us in worship, and Catherine and Pam and Christy for working with the kids, all their hard work, all that time. I have a men's group that meets at the office at 3.45 on Wednesdays and Arise practices from 3.30 to 4.30. So even though the doors close, we kind of get a little bit of a preview of what they're working on. Uh, so we've enjoyed listening to them the last few weeks, but thank you for leading us this morning. I love seeing all of the gifts and abilities that our kids have get used, get exercised here in our body. The kids are a part of our body just as much as the adults are. We're thankful for them. We're blessed to have a huge crop of kids here at Moss Brook, and I'm grateful for uh, Arise and for Andrea Hart and her team. Every week when we're in here at this point in our service and we're being taught, uh, all the kids are scattered throughout classrooms all down along this hallway and out through here, and they're being taught as well. So we're thankful for all of their uh, hard work for our kids. Uh, children are amazing little creatures, aren't they? <laughs> and you can take that every which way that you want to take it uh, this morning. I mean, what parent has not answered eight consecutive why questions about butterflies or the color of the sky or lawnmowers or uh, whatever seems to be the topic of the day on their, on their minds? Uh, we love seeing our children's excitement at Christmas. Uh, fathers, have you ever felt better than when your child looks up at you with absolute wonder that you could pick something up that they previously thought was immovable? Because for that brief moment in time, they think you actually are as strong as Superman. Hang on to that because it goes away very quickly. But for that just little teeny moment, have you ever experienced the incredibly, wonderfully short memory of a child, both good and bad? <laughs> the other day I stopped in to see uh, Taylor and Jessica Schindler, and they have four little ones. I think Ellie might be five or six, and then it's, and she's the oldest, and then it's, you know, on down. And when I walked into their house, the kids had a little, I don't even know what it was, a little box or something that was set up, it was about a foot or 16 inches high, and they had an air mattress pulled over in front of it, 
And so they were making a little line, and they were climbing up on this little box about a foot off the ground, and then they were jumping off of it onto the air mattress. And they were all doing it, all four of them. And little baby Owen, who maybe is two, maybe not even two, he was taking his turn too, because he was climbing up on his hands and knees, and then he was standing himself up, and he was jumping off. And somehow during everything that was going on, he jumped off and somehow missed the air mattress and, and smacked his head on the floor. Now, if ever someone in the military could determine what babies' heads are made out of, that chemical composition, I'm sure, has a lot of uses because kids' heads are so hard. He jumped off, he landed, he hit his head. Of course, he came up crying, and Jessica went over and picked him up and was soothing him, and he was crying, and we were talking, and then all of a sudden, he stopped. Just like that. I mean, 30 seconds, wailing, and then stopped. And squirmed his way out of his mother's arms and slithered down her leg to the floor. And you know what he did, right? He ran right back over to that box and he climbed up on and next thing you know he was jumping off again. He had already forgotten what happened. We can learn a lot from kids. Even spiritually. In fact, Jesus talked about that. Now a minute ago Catherine referred to one instance that's recorded for us in the book of Matthew where Jesus was teaching and parents were kind of bringing their children close and the disciples were kind of shooing them away and, and Jesus scolded them and said, no, let, let the kids come to me. There was another instance in which Jesus referred to children and what they can teach us spiritually. He, in fact, said that we need to become like children in order to enter into the kingdom of God. But what did he mean by that? I mean, certainly he didn't think that we should be childish about our faith. He didn't think that, didn't, wasn't saying that we should be simplistic about it. He wasn't saying that we should never ask any questions about what we believe. And so this morning, I want to just read those verses for you. There are four verses in the book of Matthew in chapter 18 that talk about this. And I want us to see just what Jesus meant when he challenged us to become like children. Look at Matthew 18 in the first four verses. Let me read them for you. Matthew 18, 1 says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What an interesting statement by Jesus here. I mean, aren't we supposed to grow up? Aren't we supposed to get smarter, get stronger? I mean, that seems to be the natural order of things. The 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He said, we grow from childhood to adulthood naturally, but in grace, we grow from adulthood down to childhood. Seems like things are reversed spiritually. I was doing some reading this week, and I, I came across a story 
This guy was writing, and he had left work one day and driven over to pick up his four-year-old son from preschool. And he pulled up in the parent lane, like I'm sure many of you have done, or many of you do every day now. Pulled up into the parent lane, and he just watched the kids come out of the preschool. And pretty soon, he saw his son, four years old, bebopping like only four-year-olds can do, out of the building with his backpack on, and he noticed that he had a big lollipop in his mouth. And so when his boy got in the car, he got him all buckled into his seat, and he said, hey, buddy, can I have your lollipop? That's serious business. Of course, he was teasing his son to try to get a rise out of him. His four-year-old son looked at him in all seriousness and said, Daddy... You can't have my lollipop, but maybe someday when you grow little like me, you can come to preschool and you can get a lollipop. (laughs) I was reading that story, and what jumped out at me was what this little child had said, Daddy, maybe someday when you grow little like me. I want us to be thinking about this this morning because I think this is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 18, that in order to enter God's kingdom, we need to grow little. We need to grow little. Look at verse 1. At the time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, I've got to give you just a little side note here that I'd like you to keep in mind when you're reading the Bible. Context is so important when you're trying to figure out what something means. See, sometimes we just open our Bibles and we just jump in, and, and I don't know if you're one of these people, but I've heard a, 150 people at least, I'm sure, say, well, when I get up in the morning or when I decide that I want to read the Bible, I pick it up and I just put my thumbs and wherever it opens up, that must be where I should read. Well, if you do that, you're going to find something worthwhile because it's God's Word and it's true. But the problem with that is sometimes we just reach in like, a magician reaching into a hat, and we just try to pull something magic out. And we don't know what's happening in the passage. It's important to know what's going on. And so Matthew sets the scene for us when, he, when Jesus says, unless you become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. We need to know that before he says that, the disciples are arguing about who's the greatest. Now, the word greatest is a word that we have come across before. If any of you remember when we've looked at it, it literally means mega. We use that word in English, don't we? Mega. What do we mean when we say mega? Big, important, the best, or powerful. And that's what the disciples were doing. I don't know if you can picture them or not, but I can picture the disciples arguing back and forth amongst themselves like little boys. Have you ever seen little boys? Ever seen, I call them packs, I don't know, little roving packs of little boys, I don't know, 10, 12 years old or so. They kind of strut around a little bit. They got the little chest puffed out, you know, and they're trying to prove who's the biggest or the strongest, or the smart, well, little boys usually don't have to worry about who's the smartest, but usually who's the biggest, or who's the strongest, 
And that's what was happening with the disciples. They're all standing. They're on a little journey. They're walking with Jesus. He is a little bit ahead of them. And they're walking along. And somebody says, out of us, who do you think's the greatest? And maybe James speaks up and says, well, I think the greatest is probably the one who's been there the longest. Because James was the first one, right? Jesus went. James and John called them to fall. And Peter, who was never at a loss for words, says, I think it's probably the one who's willing to get in there and mix it up and help Jesus. I mean, I'm always ready to go. Whatever he wants me to do, I'm there. And maybe Andrew, who is absolutely nothing like his brother Peter, says, well, I don't know. Might just be the quiet, shy, steady type. Who's the greatest? Now, with this passage in Matthew 18, we have what we call parallel passages. In other words, when you read the Gospels, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke, sometimes the exact same situation is described in all three books. And that's what happens here. Mark chapter 9 and Luke chapter 9 Mark and Luke also tell the story. And when Mark tells the story, he says that when they, got, when they got where they were going, Jesus said, hey guys, what were you talking about back there? Mark says they were silent, <laughs> at least for a minute. Luke, when he tells the story, says, Jesus knew what they were talking about. He knew what they were talking about. Matthew tells us that at some point after this moment of silence, somebody spoke up. I hate to bash Peter, but I'm guessing it's Peter. He was always ready to talk. And he just said it, Jesus, which one of us is the best? Which one of us is your favorite? Which one of us is the most important, the most effective, the most powerful, the most valuable? And you see in verse 2 how Jesus responded to that. He says, calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them. Now the word child, there's a bunch of different words for child in the Greek language. This word for child is usually used for a very young child, like maybe a toddler, two or three or maybe four-year-old child. So wherever they were, Jesus saw a little child and he brought him over and it says he put him in the midst of them. Now if you can picture this, Picture a little three- or four-year-old child standing in the middle of all of us. We're just sitting here, a little child. Just standing, looking around, wondering what's going on. Now Mark tells us, when we read his version of this, that after a moment, after placing the child in the midst of them, that Jesus walked over and he says, he picked the child up in his arms. And then he said, 
unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now for me, it's helpful when I'm reading the scripture to try and picture what's going on. Try and picture the situation. So picture all these people standing around. Picture all the disciples here, all yapping and going on about who's the best and who's the greatest. And then picture Jesus quietly, tenderly, picking up this little toddler in his arms and saying, you have to be just like this to enter the kingdom. Notice that he says, unless you turn and become like children. The word turn means just what you would think it does. It means change. It means switch directions. It means do an about face because what happens for us as human beings as we get older, we naturally start thinking, I got to grow up. I got to get going. I got to accomplish things. I got to make my place in this world. And don't get me wrong, we need to do that. We need to mature. But Jesus says, when it comes to my kingdom, the opposite is true. So picture Jesus holding this little child, holding this toddler. And I think what he's saying is this. This child can't do anything for me. Because the disciples, and they're arguing about who was the greatest, they wanted to know who was the most valuable, Jesus. I mean, I know you got 12 of us, and we're planning on hanging around, but, you know, if you had to cut the bench... You had to let a few guys go. Who contributes? That's what we want to know. Who contributes? Because we want to be acknowledged for what we do. Right? It's okay. You can nod your head. We want to be acknowledged for what we do. I go to church, read my Bible. I put money in the offering. I'm a part of a small group, or I lead a small group. I'm on a team. But when Jesus picks up that little child, what is he saying? He's saying, this child can do nothing for me. He's saying, this child is not even trying to do anything for me. See, that's the beauty of the innocence of a child at that stage of their lives. Not only can they not do anything for us, they're not even trying to do anything for us. You're like, tell me about it. I got a whole house full of them. They're not trying to do anything. At their most innocent and vulnerable stage, kids really don't bring anything to the table, do they? as far as accomplishing what needs to be accomplished. Okay, I know. Somebody's sitting there saying, my child gives me love. I know, I know. Your child's the cutest one in the world too. I get it. I had one. Not so cute anymore, but um, morality tale here. They grow up. You don't look at your toddler as you're sitting at your desk 
doing the bills and say, when are you getting a job, buddy? You got to start pulling your weight around here or this whole ship is going down. We don't say that. It's ridiculous. Why? Because they can't. They can't. And that's what Jesus was talking about here. Jesus was saying, instead of worrying about who is the greatest, just come. Instead of trying to impress me with your accomplishments, just come. I don't have any statistical or scientific information to back up my hypothesis, but I really feel like one of the first words that toddlers, little kids learn to say is the word up. You know what I mean, right? When you're walking through the grocery store, or you're walking from one end of Walmart to the other to get that one item that they strategically placed in the furthest corner from the door and you're walking like this because you're five or six feet tall, and your toddler's legs are 14 inches long, and they're sprinting to keep up with your walking, and then finally they melt down and they drop on their little rear ends in the middle of the store because they can't take it anymore. What do they say? Up. And they put their little hands up, and they look up at you, And what do you do? You pick them up. You carry them. And that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, to enter the kingdom of heaven, you need to be like the little toddler who looks up at his father and says, up, pick me up. Because I can't walk anymore. I can't do anymore. Now, Here's the interesting thing about children. And maybe some of you have already thought about this as I've described these cherubic, innocent little darlings. It doesn't take very long for them to lose this vulnerable, dependent, trusting, teachable attitude, does it? I'm trying to be careful where I look because I don't want any kids to think I'm looking at them. It doesn't take very long, does it? Till they start stomping their little feet and demanding their own way. Till they start pushing your hands away and try to do things for themselves. Till they start thinking that they know a better way than you do. And here's the thing. Here's the thing with little kids when they get to that point where they're like, no. And they push you away do it themselves. They've got all the attitude. They've got all the swagger. They've got all the... But they still really don't know how to do anything. (laughs) We have a picture of Gavin when he was about three years old, and he was eating a fudgesicle. (laughs) And it is everywhere. It's all over the bib. It's all over his shirt. It's all dripping, running down his hand and arm. It's all over his face. 
and he is so happy. Do you know why? He had no fudgesicle eating skill to speak of. And he was making a complete mess, but he was happy. You know why he was happy? You know why. Because he was doing it himself. I got this. He did not, most certainly did not have it. But he thought he had it. But isn't that just like us? Isn't that just like us as adults? When God says, I want you to do it this way, and we say, no. And we push him away. Why? Because we got all the attitude. We've got all the confidence. We've got all the swagger. I can do this. I can live my life. I can run my life and my home, and my family, and my money, I can do it. I got this. But we don't get it. And we make a mess. Verse 4, whoever humbles himself like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know what I love about this? Is Jesus takes exactly what they asked him and he turns it around. Uses the exact same word, mega. You want to be mega? You want to be a part of my kingdom? You need to humble yourself like this little child. Do you want to be part of God's kingdom? You've got to grow little. You've got to humble yourself. You've got to understand that you don't bring anything to the table. When it comes to you and God, when it comes to having a relationship with him, when it comes to eternal life and the hope that it brings, there's no contribution that you can make that's going to move the needle. If you're not a Christ follower here today, then I pray that you understand this. If you don't remember anything that I say here this morning, that's okay. I pray that you understand this. That spiritually speaking, you are like a three-year-old standing in front of his daddy. You are not contributing to this relationship. There's nothing that you can do to establish this connection with God. But because he loves you, God is willing to stoop down and tenderly take you into his arms, just like Jesus did that day with that little child. A humble admission of your sin a simple trust that Jesus Christ 
paid it all for you, a willing heart to submit your life to him, that's what it requires, our humility. Now, what I think is so awesome about this truth, so incredible about this, is that the opposite is also true. Okay? Because many of us come to God and we say, look what I'm doing, God. You need to accept me because this is what I'm doing. This is what I've accomplished. Well, what's so awesome is the exact opposite is true. If you're here this morning and you struggle with inadequacy... If you're thinking about what it means to be a part of God's family or to be connected to God through Jesus Christ, but you can't figure out how to straighten your life out, or your life is just a mess and you don't know what to do, and you're on the other side of this coin and you're saying, there's no way that God could accept me because look at what a mess I am. I'm nothing. I'm no one. I've screwed it all up. Remember what Jesus is saying. Unless you become like this little child. Perhaps right where you already are. Perhaps right where you already are saying, there's nothing that I can do. And God says, perfect. You're right. There's nothing you can do. You can't fix this mess. You can't straighten this out on your own. You can come too. Now, Christ followers, this is for us too. How do you approach God? Much the same way, we need to be careful that we don't approach God arrogantly or impatiently or angrily. We must come to Him humbly. We must come to him recognizing that anything that we have, anything that we are, anything that we might have accomplished is a direct result of God's work in our lives. Folks, what God is saying to us is this through this passage. What he is saying to us through Jesus is That he wants us to come. He wants us to come to us, to come to him as a child. To humble ourselves and accept this gift that he offers us. Won't you listen as the kids sing one more song for us as we close. Heavenly Father, are you really there? And do you hear and answer every child's prayer? Some say that heaven is far away, but I feel...
thinking about this this week, God's command to us, I, I wondered what would happen if we were all willing to humble ourselves like a child? What if we were all willing to grow little? What if we stopped trying to hold on to our own little kingdoms? You know what I mean? This is my thing. This is what I do. This is what I contribute. What if we set aside our accomplishments? What if we all came to that place of complete and utter humble dependence upon God? What could God do with 300 people that were completely humbly dependent on him? I think he could turn this town upside down. I think he could change this whole part of the state. I think that's what he wants to do. We're always so busy trying to do and be what we think we ought to do and be for the wrong reasons. I don't know if you're familiar with this verse or not, but there's a verse in Matthew chapter 11 when Jesus was talking and he said, 
that no greater human had ever been born than John the Baptist. You know who John the Baptist was? He was actually physically, humanly, Jesus' cousin. And he was born a few months before Jesus. And he went out and he prophesied that Messiah was coming. He's coming. The one who's going to take away the sin of the world. He was martyred. He was killed for his faith. But Jesus said, John the Baptist is the greatest human that's ever been born. You know what John the Baptist said? In John 3.30, he said, He, that is Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. What made John great? His humble dependence upon God. My friends, that's what God is asking of us. Father, I pray that you would humble us Do what it takes to cause us to see that we are utterly dependent upon you, that we bring nothing to this table in terms of our connection and relationship to you. Father, would you show us what it means to truly and completely trust you. For everyone that's here this morning, for those that may not be Christ followers, I trust that they would would know your great love and recognize that you are offering to them this gift of salvation not of themselves, not of anything they've done, but simply by grace, because you love us. And for those of us that are walking with you, Father, that are disciples of Jesus, I pray that you would help us each day, each day, to humble ourselves and trust you fully for all that we need. As we go out from here, Lord, we pray that you would just be at work in this community, that you would draw people to yourself, that your kingdom might grow. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. I hope you have a great week.